at race, huh? Keeping up with the Joneses. Give them another hand, will you? Uh. That came a little too natural for them. The never-ending pursuit of stuff. Listen to, I love Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 29. In today's English version, listen to how it says it. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Isn't that true? We have a knack as human beings for complicating our lives. And there's all sorts of things that complicate them. There's all sorts of things that, and reasons that our lives become so muddled and so confused. In Ruth Haley Barton's book, the one I referred to earlier, she uses this great analogy. If we could capture in a jar river water and the sediment that sinks to the bottom of that river water and you shake it up and you've got all that sediment running around there, it, it, our lives become like that. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a, a, a snow globe. Have you ever seen these before? I don't know if you can see that on the camera. Can you zoom in there? Ooh, not on me. That's scary. That's like the caveman. Zoom in on that ball. I don't know if you can get any closer than that. It's kind of like these these deals where you kind of shake them up and, and you get it moving. And you've got all, I don't know if you can even tell that from, can you see that? Yeah. The first couple rows can for sure. See, and it's just cluttered and it's chaos. And if we're ever going to truly cultivate an intimacy with God, somehow we've got to figure out how to deal with the chaos of the clutter in our lives so that we can position ourselves to actually hear his voice and to actually know him in the way that he wants us to know him. And so that's going to be our focus tonight. It begins with simplicity. That's our focus tonight, is to talk about this idea of simplicity. There's an author by the name of Dwayne Elgin who defines simplicity this way. He says, it's living in a way that is outwardly simple and inwardly rich. Outwardly simple and inwardly rich. I would suggest to you that when Jesus said that he came to bring life and life more abundantly, that, that's a pretty good picture of what I think he may have been talking about. In our culture, abundance means wealth. But to Jesus, I think it meant maybe outwardly simple, but inwardly abundant and rich. Another author says it this way. He says, simple living is not about living in poverty or self-inflicted deprivation. Rather, it is about living an examined life, one in which you have determined what is important. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, look at this verse with me. It says, two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Two things. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And then listen to this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much, too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Tonight, where I want to focus our thoughts for the next few minutes is, is on three enemies of simplicity in our lives. And there's probably many enemies, but I want to identify three that I think are very prevalent and very challenging in the culture in which we live. The first one is consumption. Consumption can become an enemy to simplicity in our lives. Now, I want to read to you some statistics, and I want you to stick with me. Because there's a reason that, that we're going to talk about these statistics. 
America, our country, makes up less than 5% of the world's population, and yet we control 20% of the world's wealth. One billion people, not million, but B, billion, one billion people in the world do not have access to clean water, while the average American uses 400 to 600 liters per day. Every seven seconds, somewhere in the world, a child under the age of five dies of hunger. Americans throw away 14% of the food that we purchase. Nearly one billion people, again with a B, billion, nearly one billion people in the world live on less than one American dollar a day. Another two and a half billion live on less than two American dollars a day, which means more than half the world lives on less than two dollars a day. The average American teenager spends $150 a week. By far, most of the people in the world do not own a car. One-third of American families own three cars. Americans spend more annually on trash bags than nearly half the world does on all their goods. Now, why do I read that? Not to rail on America. But I do believe that as we look at the reality of the culture in which we live, that should raise some very serious questions about our responsibility as followers of Jesus to the needs that we experience around the world and our stewardship and our living in the way of Jesus. It ought to raise questions. The intent is not to create guilt because guilt is never helpful, but it ought to raise questions. It ought to make us ask the question, God, why why are we blessed the way we are and what is our responsibility with the blessing that you've brought to us? But for our purpose, in what we're talking about tonight, what it reveals to us and illustrates is the incredible challenge in American culture to talk about the value of the discipline of simplicity. The prevailing value in our culture seems to be more, more, more. We are a consuming people. And the more we consume and accumulate, the more we have to work at sustaining the lifestyle that we've created, and the more we have to maintain all the stuff, and we have to protect all the stuff, and we have to pay for all the stuff, and the most serious danger of all is that unchecked consumption creates an appetite in us for more. And this cycle is created in our lives if we're not checking it, if we're not laying it before God, it creates this cycle of an appetite for more and it's never enough. It's this vicious thing that takes root in our lives and it becomes destructive and it's never satisfying. And little by little by little, our lives become so cluttered and so complicated and eventually we become consumed by our stuff. And getting stuff, our consumption leads us to being consumed. And it all works against truly knowing God. It works against going deeper with Him. So what am I asking us to do? To sell everything? No. I don't read the statistics to create guilt. But, but I do think it is important for us. And what I, what I would suggest is that at some point in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to allow God to speak into an area of our lives that is often off limits? We do not like in America to talk about limiting consumption. 
And yet, if you go even beyond our responsibility to those who are in need, it is something that can work directly against you and I cultivating the kind of depth of relationship God wants to have with us. And so my question to you and to me is this. Part of the invitation to know God in a more deep way, to take that path, part of that invitation involves us saying, am I willing to let God speak into this area of my life? Because if I'm not careful, this area of my life will work against me truly knowing God, the way God wants me to know Him and the way He wants to be known. So can God speak into that? See, because if, if we can deal with the things that work against knowing Him deeply, then we'll begin to hear His voice concerning the needs in our world. We'll hear His voice concerning injustice, and we'll hear His voice concerning the stewardship of our lives as it relates to His heart and His mission in the world. But we have to put ourselves in a place where we can hear His voice, and that will require for many of us the discipline of simplicity. Here's another enemy of simplicity. Busyness. Busyness. That's another area in our culture that is a challenge. It's especially challenging. We live in an amazing technological age. We have all this technology that, that originally, many, many years ago, it was said would make our life a lot more simple. In fact, some predicted that the invention of the computer would actually cause us to work. I forget what it was, but we would only have about a three-day work week. Instead, you know what it's done? It's created a seven-day work week because now technology enables us to be in the office 24-7. We can get emails 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can get text messages. We can Facebook and MySpace and Twitter. How many of you have no idea what that is? I'm learning a little bit about that, and I understand there's this whole community thing in a younger generation. But it boggles my mind why anyone would care that you would post you're having a burrito right now. And yet I see that. that that's, I don't have the Facebook because there's no way I could ever keep up with it. From my perspective, it's just a way to let a lot of people down if I had a Facebook. But I see, you know, different ones who have Facebooks and they post things like I'm eating a burrito right now. Now, if you are choking on a burrito and dying and you want me to pray, post that. I could not care less if you're eating a burrito. But that's our world. And if we're not careful, we, we can fill our lives with so much activity, so much work, oftentimes with good things, good activity. Work isn't bad, but we can fill it so much that we begin to fill in all the margins in our lives. And all the while, here's the danger, and here's why this is such an enemy in the culture in which we live, because our culture applauds that. It's applauded. It is nothing. We had this discussion today, actually, and uh, in, our, in our pastor's meeting. And Pastor Darren was, was talking about the reality that it is, it's, it's nothing if four guys sit down having lunch and decide to be accountable to one another. His and one of them says, I'm a workaholic. I'm busy. Resurrected. I'm too busy. That's almost like, as well, bless your heart. We kind of secretly go, yeah, me too. I'm proud of you for that. How, how easy would it be to sit down in a group of four guys and go, you know, I'm just, I'm just lazy. I just, have, I just don't work. See, and yet, both of those 
are detrimental to our lives. The evidence, but we live in a culture that commitment. applies. I mean, it's almost like if someone says, how, you're, how are you doing? The expected answer is, I'm busy. I mean, I catch myself all the time saying, how you been? Well, I've been busy. As well. It's almost like if, if you say anything else, they're going to look at you like, what are you, lazy? Because our culture reinforces that value. And, and, and this is not, a, this is not a, a message to advocate laziness at all. We are to, to give our best. But it is to say in the culture in which we live especially, it's very easy for us to destroy the opportunity for intimacy with God because we fill our life with so much stuff. I told Pastor Derry today, I said, I said, this series, I'm either going to have to be really authentic or really hypocritical because I struggle in this. This is a constant battle in my life. And, and, and the truth is, in this area, of my, I'm losing that battle right now. I hesitate to even say that because I know so. it's like, it's good for you to hear that your pastor's busy because you thought he only worked one day a week. <laughs> but the reality is, there is probably no one in this room who needs a series more than me. It's a battle. It's a challenge. And I know that intimacy with God is going to suffer the busier I get. I know for me, for me to be different by the end of this series than I am right now, I've got to make some changes in my life. I have to have some hard conversations and decisions with myself because this will rob that. See, and the reason is because relationships take time. It doesn't matter who the relationships are with, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, whoever it might be. Especially with God, it takes time. We just finished a great series with, with uh, Pastor Dick Foth, who talked about relational baseball. And he talked about history giving and affirmation. And, and third base was uh, covenant and home plate was dreaming. That stuff takes time. It takes an investment. Knowing God more deeply and more intimately will require most of us, if not all of us, to reorder and reprioritize our lives as it relates to time. We had a great opportunity as pastors just a couple weeks ago. We piled in a van and we drove down to Denver and we spent half a day with Gordon McDonald. Gordon McDonald's been a pastor for many years and an author of many, many great books and is currently the interim president of Denver Seminary. And we had the opportunity to sit with him for about four hours and just allow this man to speak into our lives. It was an incredible time. And one of the books that he is best known for is a book called Ordering Your Private World. I read it years and years ago, and it dramatically impacted my life. And actually, as pastors, we're reading it right now together and going through it. And in that book, one of the, one of the chapters I love the most, he has a chapter called The Sinkhole Syndrome. And, and what he means by that is he, he talks about sinkholes that are in, probably in other states too, but specifically in Florida. And what happens is there's these underground streams, and during times of drought, those underground streams dry up, and so that's what's supporting the ground. And so on the surface it all looks fine, but eventually they dry up and they open the door one day and their cars in a 12-foot hole because everything collapses. And the analogy is that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of Christians, who are just like that sinkhole. On the surface, everything looks fine and everything looks good, but inside they've gone dry. And eventually, eventually, there's going to be a crash. There's going to be a collapse. Now, that collapse looks differently for, for everyone, but eventually you'll collapse because there's nothing any longer that can sustain it, that can sustain your life. And it's so true for so many people. Um, finally, let me move on quickly. For the sake of time, let me move on to the third one, and then we'll, and then we'll uh, we'll move our hearts towards communion. The third one, 
The third enemy of simplicity is envy. Envy. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. This is another one in our culture, and it's tied to consumption. It's even tied to busyness in some ways. I mean, you ever watch the show Cribs? Cribs is a show now. It's kind of the next version of lifestyle of the rich and famous. And it takes you to all these homes of, of famous athletes or, or singers or whatever they might be. And you, and you go through these multi-million dollar mansions and, and the 20 cars and the, you know, all of the stuff in the house. And it, if you're not careful, it just fosters this envy inside of you. Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The heart of simplicity is contentment. In many ways, contentment is the opposite of envy. The heart of, of living simplistically is to learn to be content in any or all situations. Paul said it didn't matter the outward circumstances, whether I had plenty or whether I had nothing. And what was that secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who is that undergirding, that underlying stream that supports his life? He said it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the underlying stream. Jesus said that he will be like a well within us springing up to eternal life. He becomes that spring that keeps our life sustained, whatever the circumstances might be. He's the one who brings us to a place of contentment. That's the heart of contentment. See, what is it that underlies our lives and keeps us from collapsing? It's not a what, it's a who. It's knowing Him deeply and intimately. So, so let me kind of bring this to a conclusion, and then we're going to... We're going to watch a video before we receive communion together. I would suggest to you that one of Satan's greatest strategies against followers of Jesus is not necessarily to seduce us with some big bad sin, but it's to fill and clutter our lives, even with good things, to the point that we never go deep with God, but instead we remain hovering in the realm of superficiality. To never go deep with God. In fact, I'm convinced that if Satan can just get you busy enough with even doing ministry stuff so that you won't go deep with God, he'll be content with that. Make no mistake about it, the culture that we live in is not a friend to intimacy with God. At almost every turn, it will reinforce the enemies of simplicity. It will push consumption. It will encourage busy activity. It will continually tell you that you don't have enough. It will never be enough. You deserve more. You deserve what they have. No, actually, you deserve better than they have. It will drive that at us. And so tonight we're invited. You're invited, not by me, but by the Creator Himself. What will you do? Here's what I want what I want us to do. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion, but before, before the ushers come to distribute the elements, we're going to watch a video. It's actually a clip from a series called That the World May Know. And it paints one of the most beautiful pictures of the invitation that Jesus makes to us actually 
in, in communion itself, in what communion represents. It's an invitation to him. And I want you to watch this video. And as soon as the video is over, the ushers are going to come. And they're going to distribute the emblems of communion. If you could hold them till everyone's been served, then I'll come back and we'll receive them. And while they're being distributed, Alicia's going to sing a song. But let's watch this video first, and, and then they'll distribute these elements. The cup. And he says, this is a covenant in my blood. It's for you. Paints a new picture, doesn't it? us. We can drink the cup or we can reject the cup. That's what Dick said a couple times in the series. He, he stipulates the covenant. We can accept it or we can reject it, but we can't change the covenant. Jesus takes the cup. This is my blood. New covenant. I love you. I paid the price for you. I invite you to know me and to know me deeply. To walk with me, to journey with me on a path that you won't always be able to see everywhere it's going to take you. But to trust me that my love for you will only lead you in places that are best for you. And when it's hard and when it's painful, I'll be there. Because he is the river that sustains us. Not our circumstances. Not even necessarily his blessing. Him. He's the one who sustains us. He is that river inside of us springing up. A well of life. He said to the woman at the well, you'll never thirst again. You'll never get thirsty again. Because I will be enough. I will satisfy the deepest longing inside your heart that things can never fill that relationships with people can never fill. Not that they're not important. But especially in that context, that woman had tried to fill it many, many times in relationships with men. And Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, you'll never thirst again because it'll be a spring of water in you welling up to everlasting life. He invites us. He invites you to say yes. In your journal, there is a prayer. It's actually on page two. Let me just read it to you. I know your hands are full. And I want to make this prayer our prayer, and then we'll receive the elements of communion. It's a prayer from A.W. Tozer. He says, Father, I want to know thee, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from thee the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shalt thou make the place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. Lord, that's the prayer of our heart tonight as we hold these emblems, as we think about what they mean. I know, God, that 
There are some in this room whose lives have become complicated and muddled and confused because of circumstances out of their control. And even in the midst of that confusion, you desire to be that underlying stream that sustains them, that well of everlasting life. Lord, you offered the cup. Tonight we receive it. We say yes, and by saying yes, we're saying we love you back. And we'll follow you down that path that you lead us on. Thank you for your body broken for us and for your blood shed for us. We receive it tonight. Let's receive the bread together. team are prepared to lead us in some songs of worship and sometimes we do this we're not going to have a formal dismissal but what I want to invite you to do is to spend some time with him worshiping him but I would also like to encourage you to take this journal and maybe just write a couple things down maybe you've, you're, you've never been one of the journals I want to challenge you to use this series to journal some things, to write some things. What is God saying to you about this issue of simplicity? Maybe you would write a prayer to God. Maybe you would write things that are going through your mind right now, challenges you feel. Whatever it might be, I just want to invite you. Maybe you'll fill a couple pages. Maybe it'll just be a couple lines. It doesn't really matter. You're not going to turn them in. It's between you and God. But I want us to just end by spending time in worship. I want to encourage you to jot some things down that God may be speaking to you or that you want to speak to him. Our prayer team's available, and so they're going to make their way up, and they're going to be available if you want someone to join with you and pray. And then you just worship, and when you feel like you're ready to go and you're done, you can be dismissed. I won't come back to dismiss us, okay? I love you. God bless you. Let's just spend some time in his presence.